of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is good to be with you another evening, another weeknight, reflecting into the richness of our faith, our Christian and Catholic faith. As we do here on Mondays, we focus in on the call to witness to our faith. And uh, this Monday evening, I have Lisa Pickering joining me to reflect uh, more specifically on what we mean by the word witness itself. The first Monday evening, uh, I had uh, I had Mary Waldorf on, and we talked about uh, the Walk for Life, uh, the, the 40 Days Walk for Life. Last week, I had the principal from Notre Dame School uh, in here, Terry Sobrowski, to talk about Catholic education, the importance of forming the whole person. And tonight, I have Lisa uh, joining me, Lisa Pickering from St. John the Baptist Catholic Church, to talk about witness and specifically the call to uh, live in this gift of mercy so as to share uh, the task of mercy. So, Lisa, it is good to have you with me tonight. Thank you, Joe. It's great to be here. Lisa, uh, when we were talking beforehand, and I, we've had several meetings, I had, I had sat down with you and I thought, you know, we really haven't talked about the word itself, witness. So, as we were talking about this in our initial conversation, uh, it really led us to a discussion on mercy. And this discussion on mercy, uh, uh, this teaching on mercy that the Church gives us is rich. I mean, it's so rich. And in many ways, it what lies at the heart of what witness is about. Mindful that, as uh, the great St. Thomas Aquinas once said, and Blessed John Paul II echoed, mercy is the chief attribute of God. So we will break that open. Uh, we will hopefully bring it down for our listeners to uh, understand what we're talking about. And again, if you have any questions, comments, observations, please don't hesitate to email me at jholljmj at yahoo.com. Uh, so the word witness itself, what does that mean, Lisa? It, it comes from the Greek uh, martyria. Okay, of course, this is where we get the word um, martyrdom. You know, this is a word that many Christians are familiar with. We're familiar with it, Lisa, in a context that is tied to this, this offering of, of oneself for the Christian faith. And within the history of Christianity, we have many martyrs who gave their lives in testament to uh, their faith in Christ. And while God has called many Christians, to this martyrdom. He calls all Christians to a kind of martyrdom. And that's the martyrdom of essentially dying to self each and every day, each and every moment. I want to go to Romans 12, verses 1 to 3, uh, some of my favorite verses. If you have your Bibles out there, go ahead and go there. Chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. This is Paul writing to the Church of Romans. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, 
holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So, what is Paul talking about here? He is essentially saying is everything that we do, make it an offering, holy and acceptable to God. It's interesting, you've got a a, a paradox here. Living sacrifice. Now, usually when you think about what is sacrifice, you don't usually put that in the context of what is living. Yet this is the paradox, Lisa, of our Christian faith, that we would see what is living essentially as what is called to be sacrificial. I'm always mindful of, of the language we use and what they mean. And it would be important to note here that the word sacrifice in its Latin, secum fice, means to make holy. So when we offer our sacrifices to God, all that we do, all that we are, ultimately what we have here is uh, one who is becoming holy. Me, you, and, and, and all of us. This is, uh, this is the great universal call that the church gives us. No matter what denomination you belong to, this universal call to holiness. And I know, Lisa, you had something to share in so far as what that looks like for you and, and your daily life. Well, I've kind of... Um looked at uh, being a God's witness as uh, trying hard to just do that within my own family. You know, as the years go on, it's easy to go to work and say hi and be kind and gentle to everybody else. And then at home, sometimes we can uh, forget to try so hard, to work so hard. So um, I've used my family as the practice arena to um, be gentle and kind and merciful. And so that starts with the first person you see in the morning and to um, love on them as best you can. And if I can do that within my family, then I feel then I'm prepared to go do it to the rest of the world. And at the same time, I also hope that while I'm practicing, let's say for the for my day, I, um, I'm also witnessing this to my children and so that they can learn to be gentle and kind. Um, and I, I feel that sometimes our families can be the hardest people because they know us so well and, and um, we're short with them, so sometimes it's harder to be more merciful to them. Yeah, and I would agree 100% as far as it, you know, being uh, one of 11 kids, and I know you, we've talked about large families before, Lisa, and how, um, yeah, it, it's difficult. And, and, you know, you say you wake up each morning, and you love the person that's in front of you. And certainly the family, you know, what John Paul II wonderfully called the domestic church, you know, the family ultimately is that place where God is is calling you to love in all the concreteness and particularity of everyday life, finding that the rhythm and the tenor of each and every day is what it means to be a Christian. I, I uh, was sharing with you the story of Mother Teresa before, certainly applies to what you're talking about, where she was speaking at a conference, and this uh, older woman came down, running down uh, onto the stage, and I don't remember exactly what she said, but in essence it was, whatever you tell me to do, Mother Teresa, I will do. 
If it means going to Calcutta, if it means going to South Africa, if it means going wherever you want, I will go. I'm ready. She, she gets off the, the podium there, and uh, she comes down from the podium, rather, and she walks over to her, and she, she, she grabs her, and she, she comes up close to her, and she says, Go home, look into the eyes of your children, and feed their spiritual poverty. Right? So, so the mission to love isn't, you know, Lisa, something to be reduced to, you know, this idea of traveling afar. When really Mother Teresa put it well, in so far as the real cancer and disease is the absence of love, and she was pointing to the West. You know, we, we talk about today the culture of death, and it, it has its marks and abortion and so on and so forth. But in the end, the culture of death, the real marker is the absence of love. There's, there's a culture of death within our families if there's an absence of love, if there is hate, if we despise one another. That's a culture of death. And if we are uh, feeding into that, and if we are allowing that to grow within our families, this is what is causing the more collective culture of death. Because you said it, whatever we do within our families and how we love one another is what people are going to see out there. I like the phrase practice arena. I mean, that that fits because in the end, it is, it is who we are. And we can definitely see this breakdown of the family here in our country, and there's, it's obvious of the problems and um, the unhappiness there. So it's definitely uh, um, should be uh, front and center in everybody's lives about what's going on in your own home. Yeah, and this really brings us to what we opened up with in regards to mercy, because we really are called to exercise mercy. I mean, St. Thomas says it's the chief attribute of God. And that's powerful stuff. The way we imitate God most perfectly is how we exercise mercy. But I think what I'd like to do just briefly is offer up a definition of mercy, Lisa, so that we have an understanding of it. And I think it helps maybe to go back into the Old Testament. Um, there's actually two separate words used for mercy. Uh, the first is the word hased which means a steadfast love, a blood bond of love. In effect, it is, uh, it is covenant love. And, and by covenant love, I'm not talking about the exchange of things, but the exchange of persons. Okay, he and me, I and him. Someone who, Lisa, has the attribute of said is someone you can always count on. Someone who never lets you down. Uh, this love... Uh, it would be defined as a dependable love, a, a holy love. Um, essentially, we are to see this hased as that which contains the meaning of faithfulness to oneself and ultimately to one's promises and commitments. There's a second definition of mercy, which I love. I love it. It's, uh, the Hebrew word is rahamim. It is a word that is defined as tenderness, compassionate love, but this is a word that can be best understood as a love that springs forth from the innermost place of God's being. In fact, the Hebrew word, its root means the abdominal region or even the womb. So this is the love that speaks to God's uh, gentleness, his uh, tender touch. So someone who possesses this attribute is someone who feels for your plight and moved with compassion to help you. Usually, when you put these two words together, this hased and rahamim, this 
this commit, this love of commitment and this gentleness, um, when you put these together, you really have the vision of, of the New Testament and what is noted in the Beatitude, Matthew 5, and the opening of the Sermon on the Mount, where God calls us uh, to share in his mercy. Because in the end, uh, what we are made to see is that the exercise of mercy is when we see someone and we are moved deeply, deeply by their plight, and then we run to them. It is going out of um, ourselves and moving toward the other person. Right? Now, for all of this, Lisa, what does this mean? You know, <laughs> what drives mercy today? What is the vehicle that actually moves mercy? Uh, why do we need mercy? Well, we've already touched upon it. Hate. We, 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 we hold grudges. You know? mm-hmm. We don't allow God in because we're holding on to something, a pain, right? So forgiveness becomes this vehicle of mercy. It's not to be, uh, it's not to reduce uh, uh, forgiveness to mercy or mercy to forgiveness, but essentially it, it really moves uh, mercy into its light because so many of us are broken, so many of us are hurt. hurt. And so we need, we need to talk about forgiveness a little bit, ultimately, as we talk about witness, because if there is anything... <laughs> that is needed today. It is forgiveness. I was given a talk on this subject matter recently, and uh, there was a collection of people there, and we were talking about this, and said, how many of us have been hurt? Every hand was raised, and I think even some people raised both hands. We've either hurt people or people have hurt us. We've been on both sides of this. And so it's important to talk about this and do so uh, within the context of the cross, do so within the context of the cross, because that is where Christ uses, uh, or Christ exercises um, his, the, the fullness of forgiveness, but at the same time, the model forgiveness that we are to follow. And he does so in the act, but he gives us some important words. Lisa, he gives us some important words, and they're hard words. They're very difficult words. <laughs> For, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You know, often we will forgive people on the other side if we first receive an apology. But in fact, Christ says (laughs) we are called to forgive minus the apology. Yes, we are to be contrite. But the exercise of forgiveness, the act of forgiveness, is something more. It, it, it seeks the will of the other, the best of the other, the good of the other, at all costs. And so in that, we say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And does it just happen overnight? Well, of course not. When we are hurt, it takes sometimes a very long time. I know. Well, what you're saying, Joe, sounds... Uh obviously the most logical thing to do, but we all know in our brokenness that to actually forgive, uh, even though our mind says this is the best thing to do, if it's not in our heart, where do we go with that? Yeah, we take it to him. You know, we take it to Christ. And I think we have to allow our, we have to uh, give permission to our humanity to, uh, to, to be hurt, to, to feel the pain. You know, Father Benedict Rochelle talks about this. 
Um, we have to allow God to work in that. But often what happens in, in relationships that are broken and where, where someone has hurt another, we, we, we hold these grudges and, you know, maybe we want, it, we want to reconcile with our, our friend, our spouse, but we, we, have to, we, we have to see them change. We have to, they have to prove to us that uh, we can trust them. But we're mistaken when we do that for one simple reason. Depending on how much we've been hurt on one and what has actually happened, we have to understand that it is God who's transforming the heart because forgiveness is a singular grace. And as it is a singular grace, we have to conform ourselves to Christ and allow God to work in our humanity and at the same time give our humanity to him so he can show us what it means to be more like him when he was human, right? Essentially, Christ reveals to us what it means to be human in every way and most especially on the cross, and to be human is essentially to forgive. But we have to allow time. You know, uh, I've been in a number of conversations where people expect forgiveness. And so then what happens is when we expect forgiveness, we then put on the full court press. You, you should be forgiving me. But we say it in other words. That is a major t- taboo because ultimately forgiveness needs space. And most importantly, Forgiveness needs to come from the heart. We must, we must, free, we must freely forgive. What you're bringing up, uh, Joe, just reminds me that sometimes we forget that um, uh, when there's hurt, like for the other person to come forward and um, uh, offer or you know s- apologize and um, ask forgiveness. Uh, then then the other person's ability to be able to forgive is so much easier. And I think we hold that back. Yes. You know, and then that makes it more difficult for the other person on their journey of forgiveness. Because like you said, it's patience and and time and uh, letting God work in our hearts to do that. And uh, sometimes we don't help each other out on that. No, we don't. Yeah, and then what happens is uh, because we force, we impose, we push it prolongs the time of forgiveness. Or expect, like you said, that word expect. We, we have this idea of when it should, uh, forgiveness should happen or we should be over this. Or, and um, I think through that expectations, we can get ourselves in trouble also. Yeah, and it's to remember, expectation leads to disappointment, which breeds resentment. Those are powerful words. <sighs> and it's dangerous. We have to allow God to work. We have to allow God to work. James 1.4 says, patience perfects all things. You know, if, if we are the one, if we are the one who has hurt the other, then we must take the disposition to that of the prodigal son, who, who takes up the disposition of just, of just longing, longing to be, in the presence of the Father, with zero expectation. He, he wishes to just be in, in the presence of, of his slaves, you know. Zero expectation. Right? 
but full of acceptance. John Paul II says acceptance is the first step of conversion. Why would he say that? Why would blessed John Paul II say that acceptance is the first step to conversion? Because when we accept what God gives us, ultimately we, we have a heart of gratitude, an expectation, disappointment, resentment, these things then dissolve. They go by the wayside. And it allows us to be free. It allows us to freely love and ultimately conform ourselves to Christ. I, I, I journey with those close to me. And uh, I, I don't say this lightly, Lisa, uh, but it, the word excruciating will be used. This is excruciating, Joe. This is excruciating. It's interesting. That word excruciating in the Latin means from the cross, excruciates, from the cross. So let's think about this for a second. We go through things in our life and they're excruciating. They're painful. But has any of us in human history <laughs> gone through anything more excruciating than Christ? I'll answer it, no. No. And so we turn to Christ, understanding that anything that has been given to us, he's already conquered. And if, and if it is something that has been given to us, then, well, we must receive it and seek understanding in it. Why, God, have you given this to me? This excruciating moment, this excruciating set of uh, dilemmas before me, whether it be brokenness or whatever it may be. Now, it's interesting, Lisa, we were talking, uh, you know, there's the passage from Colossians 1.24. This is a, I mean, this is a tough passage to read, and it could even be uh, somewhat, somewhat confusing, I, I think, for our brothers and sisters in Christ, and I have to stay with it on a number of occasions um, and reread it and reread it and reread it. Paul says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. Whoa. Did he just say what I thought he said? <laughs> Think about that. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. It's Colossians 1.24. That's the inspired word of God. What is he saying? Is he suggesting that there was something lacking actually in the sufferings of Christ? No. He's saying, Paul, that is, has, ha, he does, and he's telling us, we do, have a sharing in building up the body of Christ, the church, and how we give to God our suffering, you see. Yeah, and most of us are just trying to accept it, let alone be joyful about it. Yeah, first <laughs> so Peter. That's quite oh. a journey. Yes, First Peter four thirteen says, "I rejoice in my sufferings." Oh, come on, Peter! Enough. You know, you think, what are you talking about? That's well said, Lisa. And what are we made to understand in all of this? That when we conform that which is excruciating in our life to Christ crucified, it has this kind of redemptive power to it, and that is powerful stuff. Lisa, you are a mother, and I am a father. We are, we are parents. You have three kids, and I now have four kids, and so um, your kids are older than mine. 
but I think we both experienced something. And this is to get out, you know, maybe a little more at what Paul is saying here. There is nothing that gives me more joy when I see my children, say my oldest son, do something for his younger sister. There's nothing that gives me more joy. When he does that, it makes me want to be a better person. You know, it draws us together. It brings us together. When my sister or when my uh, daughter does the same thing for her brother, it, it, it's, it, it's powerful. It's a proud moment for parents. Yes, it's a proud moment for parents. But what are we after here? The principle of unity. To, to offer up all that we do and all that we are to God, but say to God, I do this for you that you might bring together the body of Christ, the church, the family of God. How powerful is that? If you just said, at least, if, if that is a proud moment for us as parents, how all the more for God the Father, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is powerful stuff. And all of this brings us back to witness. Witness. The call to witness to love and to truth. I've said it before and I could never say it enough. Our most fundamental vocation as children of God is to bear witness to truth and love. And in so doing, we give glory to God. But what we're talking about here tonight means we must lay down our life. We must make the necessary, necessary sacrifices essentially to draw this out. So yeah, be be merciful. Respond to, to Christ's call to essentially, when we see our brothers and sisters who are in need, who are in plight, to reach out to them, to be a people of compassion. And the word compassion, compassio, to suffer with. We have to start putting ourselves in other people's shoes so that we might begin to understand the needs of others. But see, for all this, we cannot do this if we are not first right. And that's what is so important, Lisa. So important. Yes, you definitely simplified that uh, reading for me a lot. And um, hopefully I can apply it more in my life. Thank you, Joe. Well, amen, Lisa. And by the grace of God, go, go I and all of us, right? I mean, because uh, this, this passage, passage from Colossians 1.24 and the passage we had uh, opened up with, Romans 12, verses 1 to 3, are very important passages for all of us. Catholic, Christian, whatever faith you are out there, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. I mean, these are important passages. We're living sacrifices. I'll remember that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's that tension of paradox, as G.K. Chesterton once said. You know, where there's life, where there's death, there's life. You know, and so ultimately, this, this indeed brings home the point that is how we are called to witness to our faith that uh, we might give our whole life to God as a holy and acceptable offering, as Paul talked about. Let us close in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thank you, Joe.
You've been listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening from 6.30 to 7 p.m. right here on KKXX. If you have questions or feedback, you may email Joe at J-H-O-L-L-J-M-J at yahoo.com. For a copy of today's program, visit joeholcraft.org or call KKXX during regular business hours at 894-7325. Thanks for listening to the Seeds of Truth on KKXX.